Welcome, everybody, to episode 62 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. You should follow us at Two on Three Pod on Twitter, and you can send us email at at 213pod.com. You know how much we love to hear from you. I am Chris, and you can find me tweeting at CD Villasenor, but you can see my golf swing at Kiradek. And with me is Ty. Where can we find you on the social media? I blow huge vape clouds at SEATJK. <laughs> Kiradek really is a treasure. I'll He's never a- get over that vape picture. It's the best golfing picture of all time. It's awesome, and if you and if you aren't a fan, if you're if you're a fan of golf and you have a passing interest in Kiradek, there is an excellent uh, um, Alan Shipnuck article where he flies to Thailand and hangs out with Kiradek for a couple of days, and it's like just a great article. It's amazing. I bookmarked it. I haven't gotten into it yet. I yeah, you should. It. Yeah, you absolutely should. But um, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to talk about evolving and really what does it mean in our go fast, quick take world. We're going to talk about self-made billionaires, self-made film geniuses, and not-so-self-made food products. <laughs> anyway, but before we start, um, Ty was telling me a story about his mail, and I think maybe we should uh, maybe we should delve into that. Maybe I can help you. Oh, yeah, I just, as usual, I like to, you know, understand what my cultural responsibility is here, or societal responsibility, rather. So we've lived in this house for about three and a half years, and, you know, we... As usual, when we first moved in, we got a lot of mail for the previous occupant. And in fact, we those people lived here for like a decade, and we still get mail like addressed to people who must have lived here even before that. But we still get a fair amount. And matter of fact, it seems like it's ticked up lately for the previous occupant's mail has shown uh, up a lot. And it's like, it's a lot of fundraising stuff, so that's I can kind of just ignore that. Um, but lately, I'll, I'll be like, here's something from a, what seems like a medical office or like a financial advisor. And it's like, what? What's happening here? And <laughs> but after three and a half years, yeah. So clearly, you know, he's just not updating his information with whomever these people are, which leads me to believe that he's probably not really in touch with them. So it, I'm not like treating it with a great sense of urgency. But it's our mailbox is one of those situations where it's like down the street, where it's locking. It's like a big bank. You have oh to yeah, stop yeah, yeah. And, and get the mail out. Is it multi? Is it a multi bank? Like, does like everyone in your neighborhood have to yeah. share this deal? Yeah, there's one. There's like one on every corner of of each like dead end cul-de-sac area. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and so it's like not a chore, but I have to remember to like put the mail back in the box to like write no longer at this address. So often, what happens is I I write return to sender or no longer at this address on the envelope, and it sits on the kitchen island for three weeks, and then maybe gets thrown away eventually. Right. <laughs> so, and I know I'm breaking the law, so I'm committing crime. Really? <laughs> I are you? I don't know. I don't think I'm no. like, yeah, I think it's illegal to tamper with the mail. I think I am legally obligated to put that mail, that letter back in the mail. Are you sure? No, we I'm need not to look, sure. That's why I'm asking We need to look you. this up. We need to look this up. Because LegalZoom.com. <laughs> Let's see. I am not a lawyer. And I'm not, da- I'm not up to date on my federal mail laws. <laughs> but listen, after, after a year, I'm getting your mail. It's going in the shred. Now, I'm not going to just throw it in the recycling to where my address shows up. I mean, I'm going to put it through the shred, just like I would my own mail that is junk mail. But after a year, if you can't get your act together and get the things forwarded to you, the things that need to get forwarded to you, or things updated to where they need to be updated, that's not my business. I, I'm, I'm not under, after 12 months, I'm under no more obligation to you, previous tenant. 
That's how I feel about this. Now, it was funny because we got a, uh, a package delivered to our house mm-hmm. the other day. It was like a J. Crew box. And I saw it there, so I threw it inside the door. And then later on, when my wife got home, she goes, what'd you get from uh, J. Crew?" And I said, I didn't get anything from J. Crew. What did you get from J. Crew?" She goes, I didn't order J. Crew." And so we looked at the, the, the package, and it was addressed to somebody completely different at some completely different address. It was Nancy Lou at, like, I didn't even sure. know where the address was. And so this is obviously a misdelivery. So I mean, we could—I don't know—we could, we could have cracked the box <laughs> or whatever, but I did. You know, we took it back down to the UPS store. It was hilarious because my wife took it back to the UPS store and said, "Hey, this got delivered. This isn't mine." And the and the dude at the counter is like, "Is your name Nancy Lou?" And she's like, "No. <laughs> Do you live at one two three four five? You know, First Avenue? Uh, no." It's like, well, I guess it, I guess it isn't yours. It's like, duh, dude. That's why we brought it down here to the UPS store. Why are you checking? I wouldn't be here. Yeah, are people returning mail just for their own? Are people are returning their own packages just for shits and grins. I don't know. Well, you sort of—that's what you've described—is like the difference between if you find a wallet, are you the kind of person that just returns it intact, or do you return it empty? I don't need their cash. <laughs> what if I would just, what would, what would be, so that's the thing is like, is it, are you more likely to take it if there's a lot of money in it? Like what if there's like 500 bucks in that wallet? No, nah, I don't know. No, I'm not taking their cash. <laughs> I, although it's funny where, again, this happened not maybe last summer. Uh, I was getting beef jerky at the Oboyo Berto <laughs> on Rainier where I like to hang. Nice. And outside on the, on the ground was a wallet. So, picked it up, just brought it back inside, gave it to the guy at the counter and said, hey, found this outside. Somebody's going to come looking for it. Maybe it was somebody who was shopping here or whatever, but just hang on to it. I don't know. Whatever. I don't really know what happened with the Boy Alberto guy. He probably rifled through it, but it wasn't, but it wasn't going to be me. Can you just drop a wallet in, the mailbox, in a mailbox? Won't it find its way home? Is that how that works? Is that yeah, what you're I think to as do? long as there's an ID in it with an address, you can just drop it in the mailbox. I don't. Again, I don't think that's I, that might just be urban legend. I just, but I, I feel like it would get there. It would make its way there. I, I felt like because it was right outside the door in the parking lot, I thought, oh, must somebody must have been shopping there, yeah. and was having trouble wrangling their twenty pound bag of beef jerky, and their wallet fell out of their pocket. I figured they'd be back for it. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure it found its way home. But but as far as the mail goes, twelve months after a year, I've been living in my house for a year. We still get stray mail. That mail's going to the shredder. So I found the law. Oh, here we go. Eighteen USC seventeen oh one U.S. Code section seventeen oh one obstruction of mails generally so reads. Whoever knowingly and willfully obstructs or retards the passage of the mail or any carrier or conveyance carrying the mail shall be fined under this title or imprisoned, not more than six months or both. So basically, you cannot impede the mail in any serious fashion or you could be liable for criminal charges. I'm not impeding the mail. The mail got delivered to me. So the, it says, so here's the, here's the interpretation based on uh, precedent and rulings. Under federal law, it is illegal to intentionally stop a letter from being delivered to its intended recipient. And that may include not informing the U.S. Postal Service that you have another person's mail. So it says, well, you're not, you know, it's not like you're not likely to hunt you down, um, especially if you're throwing away junk mail. 
you should keep in mind that it is a federal crime to intentionally destroy another person's mail. Well, I'm just an outlaw, I guess. <laughs> Jesse James, the <laughs> mail destroyer. I'm a lawbreaker. All right. Anyway, should we do the show? Let's do the show. All right. Uh, in segment one, we're talking about self-made billionaires. Okay. And... <laughs> I knew this was gonna. I knew this one was gonna wrinkle you, but uh, our friends at Forbes this week wrote an article about the youngest self-made billionaire on their billionaires list. That being Darwin Mayflower. <laughs> Darwin Mayflower, <laughs> His first billion at the age of nineteen. <laughs> yes, but he's not. He's fictional. This is a real one, Ty. A real oh, self-made billionaire. Oh, I can't tell the difference between what's on TV and real life. Right. Well. Kylie Jenner is her name, and Kylie has a, well, I don't even think it's a burgeoning makeup empire. I think it's a full-on makeup empire at this point. Yes. But the <laughs> the, the tweet is remarkable, not so much that they're reporting this news, but the, but the re- replies to this tweet, which were all of the, of the uh, basically, let me sum it up for you, self-made, what the hell? <laughs> sure. That's that's basically the whole thing. And I think that that we have to get into this whole self-made billionaire thing. Now I, now I think we may have touched on this a while back. I, I have a vague memory Briefly. of it, but but I'm of the mind that no one is self-made. Regardless. You can't have a billionaire. You can't be a billionaire and be and do it on your own. It just it's impossible. Like you might have a billion dollar idea. Yes. Billion dollar ideas happen, I think. And but but at some point you need help along the way. Yeah, well of course. I mean you have to convince someone to help you, right? But, and so that's but, kind of still like the self-made thing. But did you see that Forbes has a system for what they determine to be like the what they they, they say that basically that Kylie meets their well-defined like the scientific definition of self-made. Did you see this? They're defending it. <laughs> okay, read it, read it, read it off. So they, they updated this because they wrote this originally when, because they, the reason we talked about this last time is because they did this before where they, they mentioned that she was a self-made multimillionaire or whatever. And people were like, what the oh. fuck are you talking about? <laughs> right. She was already rich and you, you, she used existing capital to fund a, a new business. That How is that possibly self-made? Um, she comes from a wealthy, famous family. So their system is, Forbes defines self-made as someone who built a company or established a fortune on her own rather than inheriting some or all of it. As long, So specifically the makeup money is what they're talking about here, right? Not right. any money she had previously. Right. And then they actually have a scoring system. And so they give you an example here of self-made scores from 6 to 10 with an example from the list who received that score. And this is where I'm going to take issue with this because their scoring system sucks. So, <laughs> number six. A hired executive or a hands-off investor who didn't create the business. Somebody like Meg Whitman. Right. Or like maybe a Steve Ballmer. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, number seven, like a seven, a self-made uh, or self-made person who got a head start from wealthy parents and a moneyed background like Kylie Jenner. Okay. Eight, a self-made person who came from a middle or upper middle class background, Katie Rodan. Uh, and number nine, self-made who came from largely working class background, rose from very little. Aaron Osman, whose name I'm not familiar with. Yeah. And then number 10, self-made who not only grew up poor, but also overcame significant obstacles. And of course, they point out Oprah. Oprah. And sure. my argument here is this: the gulf between seven and eight or seven and nine is gigantic. Like to have 
hundreds of millions of dollars. Like you've heard me talk on this show before about my big beef with the way society is set up is that I've reached a point where theoretically I should be sort of ascending into the next level of like, like whatever success with regard to the assets I've acquired and the fact sure. that I would like to start a business, but the obstacles to do it are like are massive. It's a, basically a fundraising effort, a massive risky fundraising effort that I have to stake my entire life and my family's well-being on to make it sure. happen. So the sure. difference between that, so again, let's say I'm middle or upper middle class at this point. I uh-huh. came from lower middle class family. Like we didn't have, we've talked before, didn't have a lot. You're going to be a nine, maybe a ten, even largely working class background. Rose from very little. That assumes I become a billionaire. Still, you're going to be right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my yeah. I it's a podcast. It's a happen. podcasting empire. It, fantastic. As long as I can just tell people what to do and not do anything myself, <laughs> we've really made it happen. But my point is that if I had a if I had a rich family, your your ability to take risks is just it it it's exponentially. Like it's the fail son model, right? Like go do whatever you want, son. Except I mean, first of all, or not definitely not first of all, but I also want to give Kylie props. Don't get me wrong. Like she deserves a lot of credit for what she's done. And we should talk about that a little bit, but you know, you've heard me say before that, uh, I I prefer original flavor Kylie to extra crispy Kylie. Sure. In 2014, she made a drastic shift in her appearance. Yes. And the thing I give her credit for and her and probably Chris Jenner as well, who seems to, be a much smarter person than she plays on TV. Without um, question. When Kylie had her, you know, they, they've run all the girls through the plastic surgery machine, right? Yes. And when Kylie had her surgery, the moment she came back out in public, they also like completely changed her look and she started wearing very intense and like serious makeup. So they literally used the moment of surgery to launch this business by making her a makeup idol because what you do is you take away a girl that was cute she disappears for a little while she comes back looking totally different and you're like see girls makeup even though it's me <laughs> even though it's makeup and you know maybe not a lot of plastic surgery but some yeah a significant amount a significant amount yeah but i do i do want to give her props because i think number one she had a good idea mm-hmm. and if you follow the story um she makes the choices on colors. And so she's obviously got a, a feel for this whole industry. Yeah. Uh, she did pop-ups. She worked, she hustled. And then she cut a deal with uh, the Ulta people to like expand her footprint because she couldn't keep up with online order. I mean, there are some seriously smart business moves that got made. Now there's likely people in her life who helped her make some of these decisions or maybe even not. Maybe she's, but I think there are probably some advisors here and there. And, um, and you're right. Her risk factors are really low. Right. I mean, and that, and that's a big, that's a big thing. And, and when people start dunking on her on Twitter for being like self-made, what the hell mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it means different things to different people. Well, you know, when we, when we talk about something like Microsoft, it's not like Bill Gates was going to end up on the street. If Microsoft didn't work out, he was just going to go back to Harvard <laughs> and, you know, and probably be a very successful person regardless. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard the phrase or the saying that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And I think that's what people bristle about this because the idea of self-made would be that it's level playing field, right? That you're sure. self-made in that you didn't have any advantages. So it's just Forbes throwing around like 
really sort of a shitty definition of, of self-made. Like the fact that they have to have a gradient scale means that they're not really evaluating it empirically. No, anyway. no. And they, what they want us, they're in the business of selling magazines. I get this, but I'm also of the mind that people on Twitter aren't probably working as hard as they could to get ahead in life. Oh no. I mean, I can do <laughs> by, more. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> by cracking on other people on Twitter. So it's, it's sort of empty in that regard, but you know, I think if somebody, if some, if some young person out there sees that, you know, she's made a success doing something and there are a number of people who've come up with business ideas and raised money, started small and, and, uh, and, and, you know, grown real world businesses and, you know, as young people. So sure. I just can't, I, again, I can't get behind their definition and it probably because I lived in my, most of my adult life, like even coming right out of college, you and I had a mutual friend who had a fairly well-to-do family. And he yes. was able to like start multiple startups, just sort of, you know, one he had connection. Up. He had connections yeah. into a fa- into a into financial um, backing. He had I don't know how he paid his bills. You know what I mean? He was like, I'm working full time at a startup that I created. How are you paying your rent? Right? Like, or, or, yeah. <laughs> so and that's a big that was a big difference for like between he and I in our twenties. I didn't have that freedom. Like, I had to get a fucking job and pay the bills <laughs> and eat. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, but again, to his credit, he wanted to do it. He did. Yeah. But and he also a had lot the of, ability to take the risk is what I'm saying. Yes. And there's also, is there, there are certainly more rich young people who are just happy to, to hang out in the Hamptons and drive fast cars and do jack shit all day, as opposed to trying to create a business, you know, and again, employ people and do, do something. Yeah. Well, that's what so, makes me. See, maybe I just feel bad about myself because I used to have that drive. And now I've sort of settled into this family life where I'm like, well, maybe it'll happen or maybe it won't. But either way, <laughs> I don't know if I care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Working for a paycheck ain't that bad. It's not, but it was never my goal. It's always, it was always my goal to start my own business. I mean, for as long as I can remember. And so to, you know, I guess compromise my, <laughs> my, my lifelong dreams feels like a, a loss. Like it feels like I'm taking an L on this one. Yeah, well, you know, maybe maybe your maybe your wife will get promoted, and then you'll be able to. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the new goal: kept man. Like, right. forget starting a business. How about just no work at all? <laughs> be the new goal. <laughs> that would last in my house about twenty minutes. My wife would will come home from work, like from her high paying whatever super job, and like catch me rolling around and you know joggers and the same t shirt she saw me wearing. Did you play that day. golf again today? No. Right. No. And then she'd stab me. She showed steal me the your... knife. She showed me the knife, Ty. <laughs> she'd steal your gin password and then <laughs> log in to the system to see how many dates you reported scores. Yeah. You're you're playing 36 a day, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you should be also better if you're playing. Yeah, that's, that's basically what she'd say. Well, the last thing I want to say about Kylie is that to me, what this actually is, is the it's the best argument for giving women more backed opportunities. Like for them to make as many good quality moves to get this launched as quickly and successfully as possible, um, it's it's impressive. And I mean, yeah, the Kardashians ultimately became famous because Kim was friends with Paris Hilton and leached off her fame and then made herself sex famous. Yeah. And then the family leveraged that fame into a, a bunch of different industries. So you know, I don't really yeah. have hate for them. I don't want to watch their show, but I. No. If, you know, you look at it to, to look at the landscape of opportunity and to capitalize on it as effectively as they did. Hey, more power to them. Yeah. I respect their hustle. I do. They do. 
Yeah, it's like I hate Pitbull, but I respect him. Right. He works like a <laughs> he works like a madman. Yeah, I don't want to listen to that music, but I respect his career. I don't want to listen to his version of Africa from <laughs> the Aquaman soundtrack. <laughs> they been playing that on the radio for crap. I'm like, this song is horrific. <laughs> All right. In segment two, we're going to talk about self-made film geniuses uh, and um, touching on the work of the great and legendary Steven Spielberg, who has been in the news this week. Yeah, for being super wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He has a beef with Netflix films being included in the Oscars. Now, let's let's, let's start with the first golden calf here which is the oscars like it really means anything anymore it's and you could you could maybe you could maybe said oh it had used to have value or it always had sort of marginal value because it was just the hollywood people voting for the hollywood stuff right it was a celebration of themselves and i get that every organization has their year-end awards like if you're the top salesperson in your company they would have a banquet and there would be awards or they do this for all industries, so I get it. But but at some point, it may have gotten a little too hoity-toity, or it made me it may have meant too much. And now Spielberg's drawing another line to say, "Oh, it's for films, but not your films, fuckers." It's I got a real fucking problem with this. <laughs> Steve. Unlo- unload it. All right, so this is my, one of my things, by the way, is like anytime somebody has a two-syllable name, like, like for instance, there's a Husky basketball player. His name is David Crisp. When he makes bad decisions, we call him Dave. That's Dave yeah. Crisp. He makes bad choices. <laughs> this is Steve Spielberg speaking here. <laughs> Fucking Steve. All right, so Steve wants to basically inc- uh, increase the barriers to Oscar eligibility by making your theatrical run have more, Im- like, you have to meet a, a higher minimum standard for theatrical release in order to be eligible for an Oscar. Long story short. Okay. First of all, I'm not interested in any boomer who wants to pull the ladder up behind him. Like, fuck you, Steve. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to, sh- you're going to eat. I, I, there was gatekeeping when I was young and I'm mad that the gatekeeping isn't as aggressive as it used to be. Like, come on, man. What are you doing? Like, yeah, th- that's what, th- that's one of the few benefits of the fracturing of the culture is that now if you're talented, you can just make your thing and put it out there. And if it's yeah. good, it should be able to get recognized. Yeah. And then and I it mean, finds an audience. I mean, we're fine. Yes. This is the evolution of the film. This is back to our theme of evolution. This is the evolution of the film industry, which is to say people watch it on their phones. They watch it on their tablets. They watch it at home. They watch it in the theaters. They watch it. They can watch your movie anywhere. Well, his argument is that movies are about going to the theater. And I'm like, that is just a snobby attitude to have about it. Because I'll tell you, like we've talked about before on the show, huge part of my life when I was a teenager and a child watching VHS tapes, like a huge part of my growth, my like coming of age was whiling away weekends, watching a a million movies on, and then our favorites over and over and over again. And yeah, we went to the movies a lot, but I didn't really think of those two things as different experiences. It was just going to the theater was for something where, you know, I really wanted to enjoy the sound system, right? That was kind of the the big kicker back in the day when people didn't have, or there wasn't, it wasn't as common to have the big screen TV and the big sound system. But I didn't ever, I would never feel like, oh, I didn't see this in the theater, so it must not be as good. I just, ne- that, that way of thinking has never entered into my brain. Well, I understand why straight-to-video release of Universal Soldier 3 didn't get nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> but this whole idea that the theater is, you know, it's expensive to go to the theater. Like, people, people can't go to the movies. If I go to, if, if I go to a movie on a Friday night, 
that is a relatively large expenditure. Now, if I'm a family of four, it's even worse. You're staring down the barrel of like $80 worth of worth of going to the movies. Right. It's like, why do you want to disincentivize anyone, though, to make quality content, whatever their platform is? Right. Right. Oh, I don't want to like shoot my shot on this Netflix movie because then I won't get to do it when it's up for a real award. And he's talking about making Emmys categories for Netflix because it's it's Netflix no. is getting like they're doing the uh, they're doing some of these like um, simultaneous releases too, right? Where some of their movies are getting like theater run, theater runs yeah. early. Yeah, triple triple frontier. Triple frontier is that coming out in theaters? Yeah, next week. Fantastic. Well, I will not see it in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that I think he sees that. The quality content for quote unquote TV, like serial, like episodic TV, sure, is moved to well, the best series are all on HBO and Netflix, right? Right. So they're murdering, <laughs> they're murdering episodic TV with their content, and now they're going to murder the movie and the the movie industry by well, they're going to take it away from them. I mean, I think that the theaters have countered by making it a different experience. Now we have bigger comfier seats that recline and all this other stuff. They're trying yeah. to make it more like your house. It's just got to make you it know, more special. Got to be worth because, the money. Because you know you want, because they know you'd rather stay home. Yeah. But I under, I understand where his fear is. I just think that someone like Spielberg should be encouraging filmmakers to make more content and not care about the, that commercial aspect of filmmaking, especially how it, the, the, Academy of Motion Picture and Sciences makes awards. He's just like, mad because his studio has to spend marketing dollars to get a movie like popular. Like you know, it costs millions of dollars to market a movie in the theaters. And in Netflix, you can do something with basically no marketing and still get a thousand eyeballs. Yeah, well, not a thousand. You put, you put Bird Box on right. the top row, yeah. and forty-eight million people watch it. Right. Like I'm going to watch that Amazon Prime show with uh, uh, Kate Beckinsale. Oh, I am too. Even though. Probably she bad. makes out with that stupid Pete Davidson. Not Anywho. a great choice. <laughs> it's not a great choice. We have a we have a we have a little uh, Spielberg tack on here though. The AV yeah. Club. He is a genius filmmaker. Yes. No, I love Spielberg movies. But right, we I grew up on Spielberg movies. Every you know, most of us did. Um, I don't appreciate his elitist exclusionary attitudes. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk about let's talk about the 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 AV Club at one point, some point in the late near future in the recent the past <laughs> has put have put out um the uh, 25 best set pieces of steven spielberg's career the list is pretty good i like it um the um you know it's really funny to think that they would put like 1941 on here and things like that but i think most of us at least guys my age all feel action spielberg more than anything now the first spielberg movie i can recall watching was Jaws, and I was way too young to be watching Jaws. <laughs> and I had terrible nightmares about it forever. But uh, Jaws shows up on the uh, the best set pieces, but I think the best set piece in Jaws is the one where Rorschach's chumming, and, yeah. the, and, and, the, and the, the shark shows up. This is the first time you see the shark after you've been watching this film for like an hour and a little hour, a little over an hour, uh-huh. and you see the shark for the first time, and you just about shit your pants. Well, and it's got this, the, the signature Spielberg push-in, right? The shocked push-in. Yeah. Where he, like, as the strider's backing up, he, like, the camera chases him down. Yeah. Yeah, that's always yeah, we're gonna, good. We're, we're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> exactly. That was, that was my first. That was, that was, that was, uh, that was my favorite Jaws bit. 
Yes. Of the of the twenty five, I picked five of my favorites of all time to, to all right. give Spielberg some respect. Did you narrow down a list of any kind? I did. My I I have. Go ahead and give me the list that you made from this list, and I'll tell you a, another couple that that uh, that should have probably been on the list. Okay. So uh, this is an order from not worst to best, just from five to one. Okay. Uh, so raiding the temple from Raiders Raiders of the Lost Ark. We've talked about that recently. Uh, that whole scene was just everything that happens in it is is still classic to me, and it's just and it, and it holds up because everything's a practical effect. It just looks great. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it too long, like when the ball no. starts rolling. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, how how long are traps going to stay good? Uh, apparently for a long, long time. <laughs> Thousands of years, apparently. The, uh, the the Aztecs or whomever could really make uh And then if you've some, got the floor-triggered uh, arrows, if you just run fast enough, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> just run. Yeah, just run. That seems Darts. like pretty easily eh. defeated. Um, number four, the raptors in the kitchen scene from Jurassic Park. Um, that really stayed with me. Everything about it is very rewatchable. It's very tense as hell. Like first time I remember how I, I start to get tense just thinking about it, even though I know it's not real. Watching it in real time, um, just those kids are gonna get eaten. And I think I, that's one of those scenes where I really put myself in the spot and like I think I would die here. <laughs> like I don't think I would get these kids are great. Like they did a really good job getting away from these dinosaurs. Right. Number three, I have the three trials from uh, um, Last Crusade. Uh, only the penitent man will pass. Um, Jehovah Only begins with an eye. <laughs> Leap of faith. Exactly. Uh, Idiot. That never stops. Idiot. Being, yeah. yeah Latin, I, mean, I love Jehovah. I love that eye. kind of stuff, right? The, just the whole you've got to solve puzzles and get through a maze, and it's just those movies do do it the best. Um, T Rex attack again from Jurassic Park. So the first time we see the T Rex, from the part where the impact tremors start in the water to, I mean, things like the T Rex smashing the glass through the top where the kids are underneath it. That's an amazing thing to do. And then ending with the, of course, the lawyer getting his bitten on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that scene is seamless. It really is so stinking good. And I said this a million times that. No one cared about special effects more before or since Jurassic Park. That 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 T Rex scene is so crazy good. But 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 really, how did well, he pop? The T Rex pops out. Next thing you know, they jump over the wall. And there's like a forty foot fall on the other side of that wall. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I'm a little puzzled. I've always been puzzled by that. It's a big drop off right on this other side. So yeah, the goat platform was very close to a cliff. You just didn't know that. It just wasn't obvious to me as the viewer that yeah. right next to it was a 40-foot drop-off into That somewhere. scene is so great, man. Where's the goat? What happened to the goat? The leg drops on the ceiling of the car. And then the, and then the, the water, the, the yeah. iconic water vibration. Yeah. And then I'll Amazing. never forget the Sam Neill line delivery where uh, Lexi's freaking out. He left us. He left us. He left us. But that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> Very reassuring. Yay, Sam Neill. Uh, yeah, and then number one, um, the Saving Private Ryan Omaha Beach scene. Unbelievable piece of cinema. It's just it, it, it's harrowing. Nothing to, save, nothing to be said about it. It's harrowing. It's yeah. like oh, it's horrible. It's yeah. You know, there's a there there are certain like war movies where you're like, oh yay, this is like oh god, yeah. please. And I, yet I always watch it. Oh, it's it's hard to watch, but uh, it is amazing. Yeah. So super amazing. So those are my top five. There's lots. There's there it was really hard to to. Uh, Eliminate some of these that are on this list, but no. what else did you have to add? I'm going to say that the big one that they left off this list is Club Obi Wan, which is the opening of Temple of Doom. You know that place is called Club Obi Wan? 
in what? Shanghai. No. Yeah, Lao Shea's, Lao Shea's club is called Club <laughs> Obi-Wan. Anyway, Club Obi-Wan, the opening of yes. Temple of Doom is so stinking good. Well, I think it gets forgotten because it's such a different part of that movie. Yeah. But yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, all, like, the whole it's escape amazing. from the restaurant... Yeah, there's the yeah. poison, and then there's yeah. then there's Short Round's dad who gets shot, and then the ice on the floor, and then there's singing, and there's jumping out. I mean, it's amazing. It's well, and then the cool like set, like where this the band and the the singers. Yeah. Are, it's awesome. Everything about it it's is great. Everything's awesome about it, right? And then and then right to the thing is like better luck next time, Lao Shea, and he shuts the door, and it's Lao Shea Airlines. It's so, <laughs> wow. so good. They left that off this list, but that that scene is is right. an amazing piece of cinema. Club Obi Wan. Thank you, thank you. Glad I could be here for that. Anyway, um, yeah. So, Steve, lighten up. Yeah, really, man, just let people do their thing and don't be such a prick. Yeah, if they make a good movie on Netflix, let them nominate it for an award. Don't be a dick. Yeah, it's not like I'm going to watch Roma anyway. Just calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was excellent. I'm sure. I'll probably never yeah. know. Right. Like, remember, was it last two years ago where Midnight and then some sad sack, like Affleck brother movie won? He won for best actor in some sort of sad sack. I don't know. Yes, I cannot for the life of me remember what that movie is called. You know why? Because it might be the greatest movie ever made, but I'll never know. (laughs) Jesus. And then it was on, like, after it won, it was on uh, Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea. It was on Prime, like sitting there for months, looking at me Pass. in the face, and I'm like, "Why do I want to watch this? I mean, want to slit my wrists?" <laughs> There's, it's not for me. It's no. not. I'm not. I'm not down with that kind of a film, and whatever. So there you go. Just let people make their movies. I did become more likely to see Roma or to what sit through Roma once I realized it was directed by Alfonso Cuarón because I do like his other work. Yeah, he's great, but. Whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe at some point. At some point. Hey, if somebody who listens to the podcast watched Roma and really liked it, and you can tell me why you really liked it, let us know. Yeah, I mean, I, I might run out of things to watch this that's year. Un- that's unlikely. <laughs> it's unlikely. All right, segment three. We're uh, talking about the evolution of uh, food products. Now, there was a funny. Uh, a funny tweet from a, a gentleman named Will Smith, which it's not the it's not the Fresh Prince. No, he's another person. He is a uh, he seems like he's a um, a technology guy. But he had this he had this uh, this funny thought that um, well he linked to a, a funny article that uh, that says humanity humanity as we know it will be defined by the broiler chicken. If you're not familiar with the broiler chicken, the broiler chicken is the agriculturally modified bird that we find in the supermarket. And I say, you know, everyone has this whole, well, this isn't GMO. This isn't genetically modified. Agriculture, by definition, is genetically modifying shit. So it's, it feeds more people or is, tastes better or whatever. I think the argument the here is that these chickens are not the kind you heard about that don't like have a head. Like you remember, like ten years ago, there was that thing about that KFC was making chickens basically in a box, and that the chickens were just—they weren't even like real animals. They were just like yeah. A meat. That was 
they had to call it. They had to start calling it KFC because they couldn't call it chicken. They couldn't right. call it Kentucky chicken, chicken, chicken anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's how true any of that is. That's not uh, true at all. No, but they were basically saying that KFC was growing their chickens like people in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the funny thing about the broiler chicken is, as agriculture has pushed forward, um, this bird is odd. Like its legs are much more much longer the breasts are much bigger it's it's not a bird that would survive in the wild because it right. has absolutely no evolution would not have taken the bird this way correct only only agriculture can do this and that's the the, the slant that the article takes too right is that like in the future if there's an archaeologist who's digging through human civilization they're going to wonder like what is this bird with these like porous bones <laughs> and like how did it grow like this and they'll and and obviously it'll be because we made them like this because we like to eat chicken. Now, what's funny is if you peel the onion a little more, you find that oh, the Earth eats billions of chickens a year in excess of sixty billion, sixty-five point eight billion billion. And and I'm responsible for like four point eight billion of those chickens <laughs> being eaten. So I'm down with the broiler chicken, but. But people, people have been doing this. This happens all the time with other things. Like people have evolved, which I think is a little bit sad in some cases. And my my prime example is the English bulldog. Mm-hmm. Like the poor English bulldogs in this world. I mean, none of them can breathe. None of them. I mean, they're they're they don't live very long. They're just they're they suffer immensely. They're just terrible. I mean, it's a at some point, don't you got to pull the plug on it and just say, you know what, we can't have this this dog anymore. You can't have this dog. This dog suffers too much. And if people are interested in, I don't know, animal cruelty, I think you better start. I think they better start flagging the English bulldog for breeders because I think that's insanely cruel to to breed animals like that with knowing they have no chance to live a a comfortable existence. Well, that dovetails nicely into the thing this reminded me of, which is the the need to or the, the push for reducing humanity's red meat consumption and the you know the the green new deal and the argument about oh we're gonna get rid of cow the farting yeah, the cow farting that we're gonna get rid of the hamburgers and all this shit and basically what it boils down to is that humans are terrible and selfish and refuse to accept the reality right in front of their face regardless of of what the circumstances are so like what you say is the same thing um you know, do you need a dog that's essentially a live animal, stuffed animal? You know, it's like you really wanted to have a stuffed animal that was an actual live being. And so you've genetically modified a, a dog to be basically useless. Like, it used, yeah, a dog like humanity's relationship was do- with dogs has to do with like farming or not farming, but like labor. You know, yeah. whether it was domesticating, mis- domesticating dogs had a purpose once upon a time, right? Was whether it was hunting or, or protection or herding or, or whatever it was, but some sort yeah. of a labor job, not like come cuddle with me on the couch. Right. But that said, like I was thinking about this whole steak issue because steak is like my favorite food. If you pressed me on it and you said, what is your absolute, if you have to pick anything, it's a, a perfectly cooked steak that's been aged and, and maybe has a little seasoning whatever the situation is yeah is probably my favorite thing to eat that said if it's better for the planet if we just eat less to none of it 
I will make adjustments. And my, my attitude about that is like, if you are not willing to do that, fuck you. <laughs> now, I've had two vegans in my life now. I had oh, a, you got two now, huh? I have two. Well, my brother okay. is a vegan. I spent the weekend hanging out with him. And he's like, oh, he, he's not a conscientious objector. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not in it. He just. He just feels like his healthiest. His healthiest path is a path of plant based. And I, you know, I can't argue with that. I think it probably. He's probably right. However, you know, I take such immense pleasure from eating. It really is a. It really is a pleasure thing. I mean, yeah, I'm full grown. I mean, it's not like, <laughs> and then some. Right. I'm full. Yeah. I mean, it's not like. It's not like I need protein in my life at that level. Well, your colon's not calling out for red meat. Like, oh, fill me up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that being said, I would miss it, but I don't eat I don't eat beef very often. No. But when I do, I like to I like to get a really good cut of beef. Yeah. The, but but I understand what you're saying. I think that at some point you know, you you have to make you're gonna have to make some decisions. I mean, I'm not sure farting cows. I'm of the mind generally that the Earth is gonna be fine. It's just humanity's gonna die out. <laughs> so when people say save the planet, you're missing me on this because it's like what save humanity? Can yes. we make this a save humanity argument? But when people say we're killing the planet, it's like what a big meteor didn't hit this thing, right? Like and killed every living person, every almost every living thing on the whole planet. No, in all likelihood, will be replaced by some species that can survive the the intense weather that we've now ginned up on this thing, or or a twenty mile across piece of rock comes hurtling into the earth and. Whatever. I mean, All that's, that's the thing about the planet. The planet will renew itself. So when everyone's like, well, think about the planet. Well, I think I thought about the planet and it's fine. <laughs> it's going to well, be, it's going to be. So if we're going to, I'm just saying, let's be honest. If you want to say, well, we need to save humanity, then, then let's make it that. I agree. And that's the problem I have with the, the meat thing is that like, I, I would like to preach, be the change, but I'm going to need like a societal force to tell me that we're going to, as a society, just going to pay scale back the meat stuff. Well, I, you know, I think that, I think there's only so much as Americans we can do. And if you want to do it, you should, I mean, I, I don't think there's, I don't think anyone's stopping you, but did, did you happen to see the video of the man who was like, what most environmentalists don't understand is that the earth is, or the United States is covered in 80% grass and cows <laughs> Eat the body mass is made up of seventy five percent grass, which we cannot eat. And I watched it so many times. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I tweeted an insensitive thing about this man having aphasia on television because that's what it seemed like what was happening. But you know, I I so I I was watched it a million times. And I finally figured out what he was saying was that his argument is that we need the cows to convert the grass into beef because we cannot eat grass. And he's right. Well, he, I mean, well, yes, no, but it's not a great a sense, point. It's in not a, a sense, great point. he's right. Food is, I mean, there are great, there are a lot of great plant to protein converters. Chicken being a great plant to protein converter. Pigs, you know, sheep, goats, cows. It's, a, I mean, it's fine, but yes, but I think when you talk, you're probably talking about the, again, the over farming of, the overproduction of, 
of beef. And we do have, and it's likely we don't have a healthy attitude about it. <laughs> well, we love it. We love it. What? Like it, the people love it so much. They just got to have it. Yeah. And this dude's argument is what? That once land is grassy and for cattle grazing, it just, that's it. It stays that way. If we don't, if the cows don't eat it, I guess we're just going to leave it there. Well, I mean, I see his, I see, I see, I think I see the point he's trying to make. And it is that in a omnivorous diet that we can't eat the grass. Other animals eat the grass. We eat the animals. It's the food chain. It's, yeah, I get it's, it. a, it's <laughs> I don't know. That's, it's hard to argue against the food chain, but, but I don't know what, I mean, it's, it's a, he obviously didn't make his point very well. No, it just, if you, you can't think it through a little bit better, maybe you shouldn't get up and talk on television. Right. And you know, as you, as you, again, as you sort of look into it, there are a, a number of factors. I mean, AOC should just get on TV and say, you know what we should do? We should, as America take over every equatorial country by military force and let the jungle grow back. Indonesia, Northern Brazil, everywhere there's an equatorial jungle, we should invade them, we should kick them all out, and we should let the jungle grow back if you want to save humanity and the planet. That's what you would do. You say that casually while... Javier Bolsonaro makes it easier to log in the Amazon and we may actually have to intervene at some point. This is what I'm saying. I mean, that's the, I mean, you want to save the planet. That's what you would do. You wouldn't kill the farting cows. It's the farting cows are small. Equatorial jungles are large. So anyway, this is the same argument I have with, um, the carbon people. It's like, you want a reliable, low cost, carbon free, Source of power, it's called nuclear. We should just use it. I, I, I don't have I, time to get into the nuclear discussion tonight. Come on! <laughs> no. We're, we'll we're do it again. We'll do it some other time, but listen, that's that's how I feel about it. All right. Well, anyway. yes, there are, there are many other options. Why don't you just invent cold fusion, and then we don't have to work anymore, like we talked about. Well, if, if we would let Elizabeth Shue do her work... Right. We would have it. Don't assassinate Keanu Reeves and Morgan Freeman when they're trying to. They're just trying to help. They're just trying to help the planet, people. (laughs) All right. Now it's time for the OT. And you know what time it is. Now comes the part where we throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? Ready! (laughs) Dad joke of the week. Jokes, girl. Multiple jokes. I'm trying to I'm trying to convince you to only tell one. Look, it's only going to be for this year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's only march people yeah it's the end of the first quarter we're almost <laughs> we're a quarter of the way, of the way there that's right all right ready to go yes do this it this one sucks what are prehistoric <laughs> creatures called when they sleep dinosaurs oh yeah yeah i'm sorry i have a joke about construction but i'm still working on it <laughs> what's the best way to catch a fish wait a, wait a minute that okay. one should be that one should be uh like car repair or something. Yeah. There's I have a joke about car repair. Or something. So I told you before we started recording that one of the things I, I don't want to extend the segment any longer, <laughs> but one of the things I want to do sometimes is rewrite. Like I want to take the conceit and rewrite a joke around it. That's better than the joke I've been given. And then, yes. then tell you the regular joke and you can decide which one's better. My version yeah. or the original, but maybe again, you should do that with one. Maybe you should do that with one joke a week. Okay. I'll, if it, well, if there's time. one that warrants it, I'll, I will work on it. I'll work All it right. out. All right. So what's the best way to catch a fish? 
have someone throw it to you. What kind of hair do oceans have? Wavy. Wavy. The woman who was hit by a car felt very tired the next day. <laughs> See, there's something there that I could have rewritten. Sure. Yeah. I think there's something. Yeah, you're yeah. right. This one I like. This is the last okay. one for the week. And this one needs to rewrite too. But I used to search for shellfish at the beach until one day when I pulled a muscle. <laughs> See, I think there's a, there's a need here where like I used to like dig for I used to go digging for clams without stretching or something like that. Like there's right. a little bit of like right, yeah, yeah. All right. So not a great crop this week, but uh, <laughs> not a great crop. Do you have one for us? I do. Uh, let's see. I just I just wrote it. I just wrote this one the other day. Um, it was uh, a guy asked me if I'd like a lion, a tiger, a cheetah. I said a cheetah. He said, what are you trying to pull a fast one? <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> what? I thought that was a funny joke. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, whatever. Better than that joke. Better than the <laughs> pull the muscle joke. I don't know about that. All right. We're into the OT. Um, you submitted for the OT a tweet where um, somebody took uh, the skull of Nero. They had the skull of Nero just lying around. No, no, no. It's just a bust. They took like a couple of the famous busts and then 3D modeled a real face based on what we know about him based on descriptions from historical texts. And, and what? It turned out that Nero was Frodo was Frodo Baggins. Yeah, but like worse. <laughs> I mean, obviously we'll tweet this and you can be horrified along with us. Um, but then what I really loved about the post is not just the horrifying face of <laughs> this ginger freak show, but the like the one thing that Twitter is good for, which is then he gets roasted, which is the best part. So like somebody then posts the money from the era and the comment is never forget what the official minters who worked for Nero made him look like on his own coins, which are one of the most widely prevalent forms of visual propaganda the empire had. And is like, it's even worse than the life size or the life or the, the busts. It's like his, he's got George Lucas's neck or his chin <laughs> just connects directly to his chest. And his like his head and neck are all the same width. Yeah, all the he's way got down. A, and he's got a crappy neck beard. Yeah, well, he's got the beard because he had to like you know draw some definition between his chin and his chest. <laughs> the uh, the yeah, I mean, if you think about if you think about it, right? The the sculptor probably had to make him better looking, but not but. Without making him look not like himself. Right. right. It had to be flattering. So it was likely he looked worse than this even. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a chin strap that really is just on his double chin. I mean, even in the sculpture that doesn't... I've never really looked at it closely before. It's like, whoa, this was a problem. <laughs> this guy did not have it going on. What's really what's really frightening is the smiling picture at some point down the down this thing. Well, I like the explanation too. So, because like, he's a ginger monster, like I said, and uh, they explain in the Latin, like Suetonius describes Nero's hair as subflavo, which means yellow or blonde. His family name at birth was Ahenobarbus, which means red beard. Which so they have this all this logic for why this thing looks like this. But then, 
the, the roasting just goes on forever. Like Nero has made a YouTube, a two hour YouTube video about plot holes in the last Jedi. And all of them are that Ray is too good at fighting. <laughs> he looks like he always makes his friends play with the cheap knockoff controller. <laughs> he has strong opinions on ethics and gladiator gaming journalism. The, this uh, guy looks like he's going to look dead into the camera and say the N word in the middle of a Fortnite stream. <laughs> well, Nero probably would, but that's, I mean, that's the, uh, you know, it's just odd. It's a funny thing to do. It's a funny thing to do. It's, this is obviously a, um, one of those cases where just because you can, maybe you shouldn't kind of a thing. It's like, <laughs> let's, let's not recreate the bus. I want people. more of this actually. <laughs> Nero's about to tell you how the Bitcoin market is on fire. <laughs> You know, this is, I don't know, you really, you, you wanted them to go through all these ancient, like, busts yeah. and faces and and give you computer, like, realistic computer renderings of what they may or may not look like? Yeah, man, I guess I would have been a big fan of going to the freak show during the carnival days. <laughs> I feel bad about that exploitation, exploitatively, but I want I mean, to see more of this. This is, this is the worst kind of discovering history. You know what I'm saying? This is... This is this is no value. This does not, in any way, shape, or form, like enlighten you into into you know into the history of our planet or historical events. This is nothing to do with it. This is just mindless entertainment based around what they might be able to do something good with this kind of technology, but instead they're just making like goofy face shots of which may or may not be accurate who knows no one cares right i mean we have sculptors i mean this the sculpture is you know in line with the money print it seems like it's pretty accurate ron weasley did not age well wait is that mark zuckerberg's like cousin the uh i mean it's just like dinosaurs in jurassic park if we're gonna if we're gonna route it back to that it's like you know, they just make it for entertainment or whatever it does you know who knows what those things really look like we've made we've made many assumptions as to as to uh you know what nero may or may not have well been. i will repost this so everyone can be horrified along with us but i wanted to <laughs> i wanted to share some of that because i enjoyed being freaked out by it and also laughing at people making fun of it well that's uh, that is what uh, that's what the internet's good for man there are there are really smart and funny and merciless people who are not afraid to share their talents with us on the internet, so... Uh, oh, that's what we're doing right now, right? Well, that's... <laughs> are we all those things? I don't know if... I don't does know it, if I were all Does it count if things. I'm just reading jokes off of Twitter on into a podcast microphone? Does that, <laughs> does that count as talent? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, a, it's how to use your reference pieces. I'm it's sharing. Just, I'm sharing. That's what I'm doing. Yes, it's, it's a sharing. And sharing is, in fact... That's what the uh, OT whatever. is for. The, not everything is... The, the segments are our original material. <laughs> the, the OT is for sharing. <laughs> fair enough well i don't know i don't have anything else how about you that's it that's our show this week uh, thanks for all to all of you for listening to the two on three pod please know we appreciate tremendously the time you choose to spend with us if you don't already please subscribe and or drop us a review i mean nobody ever does but i say it every week anyway right that's yeah it. no one re- no one reviews us no but th- whatever nobody reviews any show like you ever go look <laughs> like, has review. like if you're not a big if you don't have a ton of followers you don't have do reviews got it um itunes google play stitcher and spotify and don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show we'll be back next time with more shenanigans and until then peace